Gary. How you doing, buddy? I think I think I made it in. Excellent. Well, we're figuring this out as we go. Uh, for those of you out there in the Twitter universe, this is Brandon Lewis and Gary Humble in our uh, inaugural and, and perhaps only Twitter space. <laughs> but we're giving it a try. We're giving it a try. How have you been? I've been great, man. Thanks for thanks for setting this up, and, and we're going to give it a little test here. So, And I, I just want to say up front uh, that you're driving the ship. So, you know, we're all about transparency and honesty. So listeners need to know that any technical difficulties we might experience here are your fault. <laughs> they are indeed my fault. But you know what? I've been married long enough to know that everything is my fault. Uh, so I am perfectly ready. Uh, to to accept that moniker. Well, tell me, uh, there's a lot going on in Tennessee politics right now, or at least there's a lot of noise being made, uh, which is typically what happens leading up to the legislative session as uh, various factions try to gin up support uh, and media coverage for their various agenda items. What are a few of those uh, that have you noodling uh, in a positive or a negative way these days? Yeah, well, clearly the 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 biggest talk of the day is school choice. And so we're, we're trying to keep a close eye and pay attention to that conversation and, and what's happening. We, we have a clear picture of, I think what the governor's plans are, but you know, there's, there's no bills. So uh, we're waiting on that. Um, you know, I expect more things to come in terms of uh, the gun control conversation. You know, some of these things that we didn't get to uh, in the special session will certainly resurface. Um, we definitely want to see some things uh, happen in terms of emergency powers. I know that Representative Brian Ritchie has already filed uh, some really interesting legislation there because, look, in three years, we still never dealt with the governor's emergency powers that he wielded uh, unconstitutionally, I might add, uh, during COVID. Um, you know, as well as there's going to be some election uh, integrity things filed that we'll be paying close attention to. So, there's a lot of things I'd like to see happen, but, you know, as with each session goes, um, you don't really know what's going to happen until the cooks get in the kitchen. And uh, that's kind of what we're waiting on right now. Well, uh, if their cooking is anything like the last few years, uh, you'd be better off probably getting fed out of a prison penitentiary uh, because it has <laughs> not been the best. It has been some pretty rough cooking, uh, a little gruel on the plate, and uh, you'll be happy with it, and don't ask for seconds. Um, so let's let's take some of these in turn. You know, school choice is something that I'm, I'm very uh, hawkish about, uh-huh. but it has to be the right kind. Uh, and my point, uh, and I guess of advocation has primarily been no strings attached tax rebates. Very simple, very clean. Uh, we we don't need to mire ourselves with a lot of uh, educational red tape to get people the benefits that they need. Uh, as you have mentioned before, uh, conservatives' primary concern uh, is the fact that they worry that the same government that has corrupted and ruined public education will similarly influence the few bastions of positive education that we have left in Tennessee, primarily homeschooling and, and uh private schooling, and I don't know what percentage of those schools are Christian in nature, uh, but I imagine it's pretty high, especially in rural areas. They tend to be the only secondary choices for education aside from the public school system. But, you know, what are some of the uh, obstacles you see? Uh, looking back at an old uh, Greek mythology term, you have Scylla on one hand, 
which is the the multi-headed beast, and on the other hand, uh, you have Charybdis, uh, which is this this uh, vortex, and you've got to sail the ship of state uh, through the middle uh, by not ruining not ruining public not ruining uh, private education, but giving people who are in failing schools opportunities. Where do you see this headed, and do you think that it's going to do more harm than good when it's all cooked? It's it's hard to say, and I don't you know I don't want to pretend to be a, a prophet here, but I I certainly have some concerns. I think look, I don't think any of us on this side of the aisle at least disagree with the problem. I think we all agree on the problem. I mean, our our public schools are failing our kids and failing our families, and you know at the end of the day. We want parents to have more control and more say. In fact, the most control and the most say over how their kids are educated. Um, so all those things are true, and uh, we're, we're not disputing those facts. The issue is, is of course, how to fix it. My, my concern with school choice in general is the threat of regulations coming into the private sector, in, you know, especially in terms of homeschool. And we're already seeing some of those moves being made uh, across the country. For example, uh, this year in Florida, you know, Florida's had school choice for some years. They recently expanded uh, their ESA program to homeschoolers. Uh, I think that passed in March of 2023. Of course, the caveat was if they follow certain state guidelines. Um, Now, I don't know that those state guidelines are nefarious today, but just to make the point that, you know, the, the old saying with shekels come shackles. And I think that that's the that's the biggest fear. It Those regulations may not come today. They may not come in two years. They might come in five years. And the question I would ask everyone here is I've you know, I, I can't think of an example. And certainly when you compare state dollars or even look at, you know, federal money, we we all decry federal money coming into our state. Why? Because of the strings that are attached. And so I, I don't look at the government as some benevolent being that's willing to give us something for nothing. Um, and so that that's issue number one. And, you know, the, the argument against that, well, Gary, you got it wrong because those tax dollars, it's really my money. And I, I understand that argument. I understand the sentiment. Uh, but I, I have to question, you know, is it really your money? Um, it's, it's some people's money. Uh, it's certainly <laughs> it's it, it's, cer- it's certainly somebody's money, <laughs> but but I'll, I'll tell you from my little my little house my my little just shy of two thousand square foot house I live in I I don't pay enough property taxes and I never will pay enough property taxes to fund private school for my kids, you know. So I, I even look at this to some degree as a little bit of wealth redistribution, which you know that's that's what public education is to to, to a certain degree. But we, we've sort of already accepted that premise on the public side. I mean, we, we pay taxes, or the government takes taxes, rather, but we've agreed as a society we pay taxes for public infrastructure. You know, we, we fund uh, our, our national defense, our public defense. We fund roads. And we've determined that public education is one of those necessary pieces of infrastructure, and I don't disagree with that. But when you start moving that money now into the private sector, those lines of demarcation get a little bit get a little bit clearer and you begin to blur the lines between government and private interests. So, you know, th- those are my those are my main concerns. H- how do you really keep that money separate from from government regulation when it's coming out of the, the taxpayer pot? Um, 
And, you know, again, I, like I say, we, we don't have a bill yet. So I've got some I've got some ideas and some thoughts as to things that are being said. But it's hard to advocate for a vote yes or vote no uh, when you don't have a bill in front of you. And, and interesting, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. After, you know, Scott, Representative Scott Sapicki, who sits on the Education Committee, went on radio yesterday. And I don't know if, if this is absolute fact or not, but he stated live on air here in Murray County that um, the, that the bill was going to be filed as a caption bill and that we wouldn't see anything until February. Wow. Which, which, which pisses me off, Brandon, because, you know, this, this is how these people operate. I mean, God forbid you put language out there that the public could see and debate. You know, they, they want this thing to come out the week of, sling it into, into committee, um, so that the deal's sort of done and, and, and it's already baked into the cake. So, you know, that has nothing to do with school choice and more to do with, with the problems that we have on the way things are done in the legislature right now. Well, I agree. The, the whole uh, it is so hilarious to watch folks like Cameron Sexton, Randy McNally and other folks in Republican leadership scream about transparency when they are some of the least transparent leaders uh, that I have seen. You, you can't get answers to simple questions. Bill language is not posted uh, in an easy way to find so that people can review it. They don't want folks to have time to know what's really going on because there's this tremendous disconnect between how they legislate, uh, where their money comes from, and what GOP primary voters want. And honestly, most of the time, the only thing that really saves their bacon is this uh, amazing apathy in our state for state politics, uh, by and large, and the uneducated nature of folks that just pull a lever for one party or another. Uh, back to the whole school choice conversation, you know, uh, before we moved here recently, we were in uh, downtown Chattanooga. That's where I lived. You never got to come, I don't believe, see the old house, but I was there for 15 years uh, four houses off a of major thoroughfare, and the place that our little girls were zoned to go to school uh, has like a 5 or 6% achievement rate, which means that only 5 to 6% of kids in that school, when you look at the combined reading and math scores, are anywhere near grade level. And I could be wrong, but I remember even hearing that uh, years ago, uh, not a single kid passed the ACT out of that school at a level that would have admitted them to a college in Tennessee. Ouch. And I and I taught many of those kids uh, when they came out of that school in a, a technical school when I first got my MBA. And I'm telling you, we are producing functionally illiterate children at a breakneck pace. And having grown up with a father who cannot read and write, I'm here to tell you uh, that illiteracy uh, damns people uh, to poor um, career opportunities. Uh, it creates embarrassment. It is a pariah. Uh, it is a stigma, and it follows people around uh, for their entire life. And to watch Democrats and people in the media like Phil Williams and News Channel 5 and all the broadsheets that are corporately funded in our state uh, try to keep these kids, many of which are uh, brown and black in poor urban areas, trapped in these urban hellscapes where teen pregnancy and drug addiction and indoctrination is running rampant, and to think that they're doing society some sort of service just baffles me. It baffles me. It's a moral failing of the Republicans and the Democrats uh, to have produced such a poor uh, product. And uh, one other issue that is related to the school choice argument, which you have brought up, uh, is that of funding illegal immigration. Uh, I don't know if our listeners know, but we spend presently 
about 560 some odd or 70 some odd uh, million dollars, over half a billion in simply uh, educating illegal immigrants from other countries uh, at, at Tennessee taxpayer expense, whether it's federal, state or local dollars. Talk to me about the what you think the proposed structure of Lee's ESA slash voucher program will look like and why it is uh, it is perfectly uh, rife for abuse in that manner. Yeah, again, you know, same same issue again. You know, you you and I absolutely do not disagree on the issues that we're trying to address here, uh, certainly. But in terms of, of illegals, you know, I don't think many Tennesseans really understand and know that currently right now we fund illegals in education. And that comes from a, a 1982 federal court ruling. Uh, Supreme Court ruling, I should say, called Plyer versus Doe. And so those federal regulations now require uh, states to to uh, fund education for illegals, which, by the way, seems to be uh, uh, unconstitutional per an, uh, our anti, anti-commandeering clause. Uh, you know, it's basically the federal government says, hey, state, you have to spend your state resources uh, and do what we tell you to do. So, I, you know, just on its face, I don't know why states haven't been fighting that uh, much, much harder. But what we're doing here with this school choice is we are expanding, in my view, uh, I think you can say it this way, uh, we are expanding the funding of illegals into private education. Now, the pushback when I say that is, well, yeah, but Gary, you're being disingenuous about that because we're already funding in public education. And that that's absolutely true. But it, instead of fixing the problem, we're just now going to parlay that money. We're going to we're going to just translate that issue now into the private sector. I, I did a video a couple of weeks ago and quoted a, a, the same issue that happened in Arizona. You know, Arizona passed school choice, if I recall. I think it was 2018, and at the time, the issue of funding illegals in education came up. And the state senator in Arizona, actually, who's the chair of their appropriations committee, in other words, the guy that knows where all the money's going, acknowledged that their school choice program was going to fund uh, illegals because they had no choice because of this federal regulation. And, and his quote was, the, the best that we can do is just not advertise it. <laughs> so the... The best thing we can do here in Arizona is we're passing school choices. Just make sure we do our best not to let all the illegals know that they have access to this money. So I, you know, I find those kinds of things preposterous and and and, uh, and disingenuous. And you know, I just think that as we're having this debate and this conversation, we sh- look, we should just be honest about all of the details. You know, and if the majority of people say, "Hey, it's it's worth." Funding it's worth expanding the funding of illegal immigrants into into pri- private education so that I can get my kids seven grand to put him in private school. Well, so be it. You know, I bet you some people feel that way, and, and I I understand that. I, I I would just I would have some disagreement with that sentiment. So you know, on all these things, Brandon, I want to be clear. I you know I I don't have a crystal ball, and I'm not perfect, and I certainly don't have all the answers. But I, I think that this discussion is very much worthy of deb- debate before we just pass what, what the other nine states have passed. And perhaps there's a way to do this where Tennessee can lead the way. And, I, and I'll, I'll close the loop on the illegal immigration. You mentioned um, tax rebates. 
you know, I don't know what the right word to use is. You know, we've used the word vouchers. We've used the words coupons. Now we're using the word scholarships. And then we've got the word rebate and the word credit. And all of those words mean different things. And in the, in the simplest terms I think of, instead of handing someone a, a, a cash money check out of the taxpayer pool, what if we just did a, a tax credit? You know, you get a credit on your taxes. Now, states that do tax credits typically have state income tax, so it's easier to do. They're getting a, a credit on their state income tax. Uh, thankfully, we don't have that here in Tennessee. But we could do something like a tax credit on property taxes. And, and there, there's, there's one issue and one benefit, as I see it, with a straight tax credit. Uh, well, well, two issues and, and one benefit. The, the benefit is we cut the illegals out because illegals aren't paying property taxes. So if, if all that's happening is we're getting a tax credit, well, you've now just solved the funding the illegals into private education uh, issue. But the issues you create – Someone will say, well, not everyone owns a home. Well, that's true. But that's that's part of life, though, isn't it? That that may sound cold, but that's the free market society we live in. Some of us get tax benefits because of home ownership and some don't. And I recognize that the hardship in owning a home right now. But I do think that something like that does incentivize home ownership. All right. That's a worthy debate in and of itself. The other issue it creates clearly is that. The great majority of folks aren't paying enough property taxes uh, to cover their private education, uh, like the $7,000 a year per child we would be getting from this education freedom. I get that point, too. But again, that I'm talking about what is your money and what is not. So in a, in a, just from a straight conservative fiscal principle stance, I would support a, a simple tax credit. Uh, for, for those reasons, um, I, I believe it's a more right uh, and frugal way to do it. I believe it solves some of the issues. It doesn't solve all the issues, clearly. Um, but the, the fact that, that we're considering just handing out checks uh, to whomever has a kid to go to private school, I just I, I have an issue with that, and I think it deserves more conversation. So that's, that's kind of where I am. Well, a, a couple of things, looping back on the, the illegal immigrant um, angle on this, uh, people often ask, you know, why, why am I so passionate about school choice other than the fact that, you know, I've, I, I'm on the uh, end of I have paid more taxes than I will ever get out in Tennessee because of business and property ownership of various uh, degrees. And so I'm on the losing end. Uh, I'm not on the gaining end. Sure. I, I, I will be able to redeem some portion of what I've paid in, but never everything I've paid in. And so I don't get to participate in 50% of my tax dollars with my kids in the education system, which you know, gives me a, an axe to grind in that respect. And, and we've had a, to. And that's a, and that's a yeah. reasonable stance to take on your part. Yes. And so we've, you know, and we, we did all the hard stuff, right? We paid our, pub, our private tuition. My wife drove two hours every day for several years because we never saw a school bus run in our neighborhood because it was too dangerous for the people in our neighborhood to send their kids to the school that was right down the street where they were zoned. But on the illegal immigration side, you know, uh, I'm one of the few people that's really passionate in discussing this this education debate that actually is an educator for a living. You know, I run an academy for people in the home service business, develop my own curriculum. I, you know, I have my own students. We have our own educational events, uh, things of that nature. And I'm telling you, when people uh, cannot speak English 
uh, or write it properly. My uh, job trying to educate them on the fundamentals of sales marketing operations is remarkably difficult, and about 40% of my clients, I would say, speak English as a second language. And as I drive past schools, especially in urban environments in Chattanooga, uh, schools that were five, six years ago, probably 80% black and maybe 20% white and something else, uh, in five, six years' time, they are now predominantly like 70, 60% Hispanic. Uh, and when you put uh, a ton of folks that are from a different culture who do not speak the language in a classroom, and you're going to tell me that that does not have a negative impact, both fiscally and in the educational experience, I'm going to call you a moron. Because if I'm in a room full of folks and only, you know, 60, not only 40 or 30 percent of them can really understand what I'm saying. And if I can only understand what a portion of them are saying, that makes the educational process very difficult. And so uh, Democrats are supposed to have this big bleeding heart uh, and, and rhinos, too. Right. And yet we continue to let this happen uh, in our public education systems. And, and finally, uh, we'll move on to another topic. Thirteen years. Uh, there's a very short window for kids to get an education in a traditional sense. I mean, I know some people can go back and redeem themselves, but for things like fundamentals, math, reading, uh, comprehension, things of that nature, there's a very finite window. And the Democrats' argument is let us continue to keep making empty promises, let another year, two years, three years go by. And finally, and I will, I will close out this, if you have an organization where no matter how hard you work, or how poorly you perform, you get paid no more or no different. No matter how bad your performance is, you get to keep your job. No matter how uh, bad of a service you provide, you still get the same amount of revenue every year. If that is a company and you bring me in to fix it, because uh, it's a service business, that's what I've been in my entire life, a corrupt, broken culture like that cannot be fixed. It does not matter if you pay everybody twice as much tomorrow. If nothing is going to functionally happen that's different in discipline, instruction, or the classroom, it does not matter how much money you pour into a service business. And why people cannot see this except for worshiping at the shrine of this government job factory we've created, I can't understand. Let's talk about emergency powers. Um I'm still baffled. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. Gary, this is a separate branch of damned government. Now, people have talked about that school choice debate saying, you know, looking at what happened to Abbott uh, with his failed attempt. I don't think we're going to have a failed attempt in Tennessee because we have more governor bootlickers uh, probably per capita <laughs> than any other uh, legislature in in the entire nation, it, they think, would not even they would not even stand up for their rights as a separate branch of government during COVID to protect their constituents or even give them a voice. I think they just you're wouldn't right. do it. And even after everything has passed and everything has come out, and we've learned that the government's pushing of masks was just completely horrendous and false. They're pushing of vaccines that stop transmission, awful. Uh, the contact tracing, the shutting down and shuttering of small businesses while large corporations are open. We've never received an apology, and we've never seen the legislature make a move to make sure that never happens again. When or if, when do you think this is going to happen? And, you know, Richie uh, is doing the work uh, of the Republican primary voter 
But we we have seen how often, Gary, that those pleas for common sense reforms uh, that the grassroots want uh, just continue to fall on deaf ears. What do you think the chances are that we can actually do something about that? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would put the chances very high, uh, at least while Bill Lee is governor, but we're going to keep pushing. You know, the, the history of this issue, of course, uh, was exacerbated during COVID. And what many people probably don't remember is that, you know, at the end of that year, the end of 2020, uh, the legislature came in and did three. It was, it was sort of a, a summer study session. And uh, the legislature had three separate meetings. Uh, the third one ended up being very short uh, on studying the emergency powers. And the goal of, of these sessions was for these these summer study committees to make suggestions um, to the legislature for 2021 as to what they could do to rein in the emergency powers. And so they did that. They had these three meetings. They made these suggestions. They had uh, really great constitutional uh, attorneys and law professors come in and testify like Glenn Reynolds uh, from UT Knoxville and uh, uh, attorney Larry Crane, who's actually our general counsel here in Williamson County, both of whom uh, stated that in their, in their mind, what governor Lee was doing, uh, not, not only what he was doing, but the law itself that allowed the governor these powers in an emergency was wholly unconstitutional. All right. So all of that happened. Well, subsequently, uh, nothing has happened, which, which has been the problem for three years. Uh, the, the only thing that has happened to my knowledge, um, uh, the same state representative, Brian Ritchie, filed a bill this past session that would have required after 30 days of any uh, emergency called by the governor that it would have to be renewed by the legislature. So so fine, governor can call an emergency. He's got 30 days to do his thing. But if he, if he wants to renew it, it has to be done by the legislature. Well, that failed in subcommittee. And um, the, the, the governor actually sent Valerie Yancey, who's his legislative liaison, to testify in committee. And her reasoning, her argument was, well, you know, this bill shouldn't pass because it, it's, it's a farce. The governor um, needs the power to... to address an emergency. And look, if the legislature wants to deal with this, they, they have the power to call themselves uh, into a special session at any time and stop the emergencies. So they can already do that. And this bill, this is just a null and void effort. So in her mind, she doesn't have a problem with a governor and the executive branch ruling by executive fiat, as long as the legislature allows it to happen. Meanwhile, people like you and me are left wondering, well, what the hell's going on? This ain't the way our Constitution is written. Uh, so so that, that's been the history of this issue. Absolutely nothing has been done. Uh, I, I, I believe to your prior statement, it's probably because the GOP does not want to in any way, shape, or form repudiate what this governor has done. God forbid the Republican Party speak ill or hold uh, Bill Lee accountable uh, at any level uh, to... Close that. What I will say, I'm excited about at least it's being filed this year. I think it's a really creative uh, bill. Brian Ritchie has filed a, a bill that simply does this. The governor can call an emergency. Um, he can renew the emergency. Uh, he can do all the executive orders he wants and do. But here's the kicker. When the governor creates an executive order under the emergency power statute, 
uh, the, a violation of that order carries with it, per state statute, a Class A misdemeanor, which is a $2,500 fine and up to a year in jail. Now, I don't know if many Tennesseans understand that whenever in 2020, when this happened, when the governor issued a lockdown order and allowed county mayors to issue mask mandates, in the technical sense of the law, had you been cited for violating those orders, you could have been criminally charged with a Class A misdemeanor in the state of Tennessee. Completely egregious. Uh, most people don't realize that. Well, this bill does something very simple. The governor can call his emergency, he can make all the executive orders he wants. But the moment he creates an executive order that carries with it the penalty of a Class A misdemeanor or any criminal penalty, that executive order must be approved by a majority of the state legislature before it can be enacted. Um, so that that's that's sort of a back doorway of, of seeing if we can get the General Assembly to do anything at all regarding these emergency powers. And if if that fails as well this year, then then you can take it to the bank. Uh, these people hate you <laughs> and, they, and, and they only care about in their minds somehow preserving the brand of the Republican Party, because well, it's, it's, it's a very I, simple bill. Well, if you can take that to the bank, I've cashed that check so many times I should have a full account. Um, it, it is it is amazing to me to watch this, but it does give us fodder for the Rhino Report. Uh, we will get to uh, tell citizens all over the state of Tennessee uh, how these Republicans vote in committee as they uh, continue to reinforce their belief that the executive branch should be able to trample all over your constitutional Right. Uh, there are a couple of other, uh, I guess, hot button issues that we've been following. Uh, we didn't mention this at the beginning of the call. Uh, we probably need to wrap this up at some point so you and I can get back to work. Not to say that this isn't work, but uh, work for you. <laughs> the uh, work as being defined as something that 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 generates something. Um, the, the the this whole boondoggle of corporate welfare that continues uh, to be promulgated in our state. It's amazing to see this huge groundswell of noise from Democrats and the Tennessee media, which are one and the same. They're the exact same people. They have the exact same views and beliefs. All the reporters, all the talking heads and the corporately funded media are so up in arms and upset about school choice expenditures, yet they seem to be completely happy with the Tennessee Titans Stadium. They seem to be completely happy with the Green New Deal for Ford Motor Company. They seem to be completely happy with, for the love of Pete, like giving uh, corporate welfare out to burger joints like the In-N-Out Burger. Recently, uh, a huge uh, dental uh, company went bankrupt that we'd given $10 million to. Uh, and, and there's no repercussions financially from the legislators and or the government agencies that voted for it or the owners of the company itself when they default on this. We've seen Amazon uh, and other companies fail to meet uh, the promised job requirements to cut back to curtail, yet the money is spent and given. Do you think there's any appetite uh, for curbing some of this? And I, it seems to be one of the few areas where I would love closed-circuit transmission to the Tennessee hauler because I don't care uh, about uh, – having conversations with people. Uh, we are on a free speech platform here at Twitter and X. 
uh, to have a conversation between conservatives and uh, Democrats, which is much different than a conversation between Republicans and conservatives uh, about corporate welfare and the fact that it is evil, uh, that it is a moral failing. It's unfair. It's unjust. And it really doesn't create the economic incentives uh, based upon reports that I have seen uh, that benefit the taxpayer. It is essentially just this Ponzi scheme where the the politicians in the Republican Party who get all their campaign uh, funding from these large corporations can then turn around and give our taxpayer dollars back to them. And they put in a penny and we end up paying a pound. Uh, do you think there's any common ground there, uh, any noise that could be made, uh, maybe even some kind of conservative Democrat coalition, because they don't seem to have as much of an appetite for it as the rhinos do. No, you you absolutely nailed that issue on the head. And I, I agree with you 110 percent. You know, it's interesting to me that on the issue of corporate welfare, it, it seems that Democrats and in, at least in Tennessee, uh, the ones that I've spoken to and that I've seen uh, speak publicly on this issue and conservative, the conservatives, the grassroots are in sync on this issue. It is the moderate establishment class Republicans that continue to be quite happy doling out these tax dollars to their friends. Uh, you know, even going back to COVID and Bill Lee's no bid contracts where we spent, what, eight million dollars on a bunch of sock masks and all kinds of other nonsense, uh, you know, later to find out that these were folks he knew uh, or at least uh, on his staff, uh, folks they knew making these connections. Uh, so I, I think that practice needs to end. I think the days of governments picking winners and losers with our tax dollars needs to end. You mentioned, uh, yes, a company called Smile Direct based here in Nashville who was given a, a tax incentive of over $10 million, just recently claimed bankruptcy. Uh, I think these are egregious acts of the government. And, and honestly, this that conversation to some degree, <clears throat> to a large degree actually, parlays into this constitutional amendment that we're fighting against, which by the way – and, and, you, and the Tennessee conservative ha has reported on this. Thank you, because to my knowledge, uh, as far as an organization goes, Tennessee stands is like a, a lone voice crying out in the wilderness on SJR 34, which is a proposed constitutional amendment that would uh, even exact further exacerbate corporate welfare. It would allow the state of Tennessee not only to give money to corporations, but to buy equities and become shareholders and owners of private corporations. I mean, who does that? China. <laughs> you know, so but but the Republicans, you know, many are for it because in their mind they say, well, it gives us a bigger return on investment. Well, yeah, but it 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 also links up corporate in, and private interests with government interests, oftentimes which tend to be against the liberty of the people like we saw during COVID. I'm I'm completely against this. And I, I want to say this for the record because I find it so interesting. I can get conservatives to easily agree with me on this issue, but it's very hard to get the establishment class to acknowledge it. When this constitutional amendment first came up in the 112th General Assembly, it passed almost unanimously. In this last session, in the 113th, we, we found out about it and began to advocate against it. We were able to swing half the Senate, and we killed it on the floor this year. The problem is everyone needs to know resolutions can be brought up twice. So that same resolution will be brought up again in 2024. So we'll have to do that work again. But what I found so interesting, and I think everyone needs to hear this, 
what I found so interesting in, in the one twelfth is is in the Senate at that time, there was only one vote against the amendment. And the vote came from one of the most progressive senators uh, in the General Assembly, that's Senator Heidi Campbell. Now, I will tell you, I pretty much agree with Heidi Campbell on almost nothing. Right. But I was very curious to find out why she voted no. I called her. She took my call and I asked her. Her answer was, and I quote, well, I just simply don't believe our government. I thought, well, you're right. But I, I, why can't I get anyone in Republican leadership to say those words? It's, it's incredible to me. This issue of corporate welfare, I believe, Will, is the central act that may lead to the downfall of our republic, where we we are we will be run by corporations. This is how I believe it, it is not. It is not we will be run. It is we are already almost exclusively ran. Well, there, well, there you go. There you go. I, I, <laughs> that is the reality that I have discovered over the last three years when I came into this uh, w with no really. Previous knowledge of state politics, like I didn't come into any of this with an axe to grind. I simply had uh, these radical conservative views, which are what Republicans thought 10 years ago, uh, so radical, so you know, just ground-shiftingly uh, terrible, uh, so traditional. But that is what I have discovered, and it's just – it goes all goes back to what you have reported in your legislative report card, what I discovered when we did the Follow the Money report, and that is that 90-plus percent – of money and Republican leadership comes from left-leaning corporations, and then the the media is funded by those same corporations. When you look at advertisements in yeah. the Knox News Sentinel, when you look at advertisements in on News Channel Five, if you look at uh, advertisements in, in in all the broadsheets, all the everywhere, who's doing it? It's Ford Motor Company. It's uh, it's the Tennessee Titans come out to a game. Uh, all these people are making their money directly or indirectly off the largesse of these corporations. And the worst thing of all, and it's a great deal for the corporations, you can go down to Nashville and spend 2 or $3 million in political donations and spend 2 or $3 million in lobbying, which is like 25 cents to these uh, large corporations, and you can get billions of dollars back. What a great return on investment. I wish I could go down there and spend $1,000 and get $100,000 for my business no in kidding. some way. Uh, it, but, but Republicans down there seem to not think it's a, a, a bad idea at all. And you've got folks like Bo Watson's wife, uh, who is the chairman of the, the finance committee in the Senate. I like Bo. He's a nice person. But there's this tremendous conflict of interest where his wife is down there lobbying his uh, um, for the contemporaries. Yeah. Yes, who are going to be bringing bills to his committee, one of the most powerful committees, and he acts as if her relationship to him has no bearing on how people act. It, well, if you've never studied human history at all, if you don't know anything about how we behave, uh, when somebody's uh, wife comes to see you who's exceptionally important and powerful, if you think you don't treat her differently than somebody else, I've got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. It's just ridiculous <laughs> that people would think that. And for somebody in the legislature, uh, legislature who is sitting to be getting hundreds of thousands of dollars into their personal bank account for fleecing the public for corporate welfare, and this goes on 
all the time. It, if they don't graduate and turn into lobbyists, it's the ultimate aim of the grifters, uh, and it is it is unfathomable. All right, we've we've walked, we've ran through a variety of topics on illegal immigration, school choice, corporate welfare, uh, a little bit on emergency powers. I'll give you the last word. Maybe we can get back and do this again. What are your closing thoughts? Yeah, no, I love this. Look, I mean, first off, just want to let people know, I, I mean, I consider you a, a brother in arms, man, and I'm, I'm thankful you're here in Tennessee uh, fighting the good fight. I know the, the grassroots uh, appreciates the Tennessee conservative, and we do too. And look, I, I, I want I'm excited about some of these new folks we have in the General Assembly. Um, you know, for example, like Brian Ritchie. Uh, I also have a lot of respect for Jody Barrett and, and just some of the, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to start naming names because I'm going to miss some. But we, we, we have some folks. I, I talk bad about the General Assembly a lot, and they deserve it. But Tennessee needs to know we, we have some folks in the General Assembly that really do care and are willing to fight for conservative principles. And so I, I want to try to do a lot more to do everything we can to support those folks that actually are standing up fighting because they're unfortunately right now, they are, are a small and sometimes powerless voice. And, uh, but that's, that's where we come in, right? That's what we try to hold, hold their arms up, right. And support the work that they're trying to do. So I, I, I will say what I always uh, say the the federal government is not coming to save you. The White House is not coming to save you, and that's why Tennessee Stands exists. I believe that every bit of liberty um, that we're going to promote and preserve and procure uh, is going to be within the states. And uh, we, if, if we are adamant about it and we're willing to do the work, we can do that here in Tennessee. You know, California can continue to lose its mind. New York, I, that's, that's the great thing about federalism. I don't care. You know, do what do what you guys are going to do. But we need to understand that we can control the way that we live and we can promote the kind of values that we want here in Tennessee. And so we have to be diligent about that. I, I encourage people. I, I know you're paying attention to the presidential election and I get it. I, I know there's a there's a lot to pay attention to. But but folks need to be focusing on what's happening right here at the state level, and you have to get engaged. This is where the battle for liberty will be won or lost at the state level, and uh, that's my that's my closing statement. Well, I will echo that. Uh, to me, worrying about federal politics is about like waking up every morning and checking the weather on Mars. It may be interesting, uh, but you're not there. You have no influence over it. Uh, you're not going to be affected by it, nor can you affect it in many cases, comparatively speaking. Not to say that you shouldn't pay attention, that you shouldn't write a check to a presidential or a senatorial or a congressional candidate, that you shouldn't keep up with the issues. But I'm here to tell you, uh, if you've tuned out, tune back in. If this is the first time you've listened to Gary or I, if you've stumbled upon this Twitter space because you're politically interested but you don't know what to do, pick up the phone, call your state rep. Call your state senator. Go meet with them. Take a group of people. Go show up at the Capitol. Call them. Email them. Let them know that you are conservative and that you're watching and that there are political implications for voting like a Southern Democrat, which is what most of these Republicans are in our state because their districts are drawn that way. You can spend an hour or a dollar on state issues and get 10 to 20 times the mileage of anything you will get for paying attention to federal 
because that is where you can have an impact. You can see these people at the grocery store, in your communities. You can show up at their offices. Uh, a little bit of noise makes a big difference, uh, and it is completely different than trying to uh, you know, watch the clown show in Washington while the clowns in Nashville are taking away your rights uh, wholesale. Gary, you've been very kind. I'm glad we got to do this. Uh, I hope we get to do it again. Maybe we can make this some kind of recurring segment. It seems to be pretty easy. There's no video because nobody wants to see my face, so maybe we could stick with this. Yeah, no, I, I love it, man. I appreciate the invite. Happy to do it uh, anytime. Let's do it more often. And, and as we get better, you know, I, I see there's a couple of really cool folks on here with us. So as, as we uh, get a little bit more tech savvy, uh, we can have others join in the conversation. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I think it will be a lot of fun. And Gary, uh, how do people find out more about your organization? Where do they visit? Because you uh, you were there, you and Andy Ogles, and then a little bit later, uh, Glenn Jacobs were the only three people with any type of megaphone in the state of Tennessee that stood up to the tyranny that brought me out of the political shadows. So I always want to send people to your organization because you do such a great job with in-depth legislative reporting. Yeah, you can find us at TennesseeStands.org. That's TennesseeStands.org. Uh, every bit of social media at our handle at Tennessee Stands. And look, please, uh, and I'm, I'm going to echo this for Brandon as well. <laughs> you go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com and uh, TennesseeStands.org and hit that subscribe button. Subscribe to our emails list. We email lists. We are constantly battling the uh, you know um, algorithms, I should say, uh, on every every platform out there. Uh, you know, I think most people seem to to think, and I agree. Twitter seems to be the most free platform, if there's such a thing. But uh, the censorship is real, so please go check us out at TennesseeStands.org. Uh, we're on Rumble at Tennessee Stands. Um, I'm, I'm just starting to put out videos again. The legislative session will be upon us, so we'll be having lots of opportunity for folks to take action on several pieces of legislation, and uh, appreciate that. Thank you. All right, guys, this is Gary Humble and Brandon Lewis with, respectively, Tennessee Stands and Tennessee Conservatives saying we love you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next time. God bless.